Welcome back to The Lounge. Now, it's always my pleasure to listen to the inspiring journeys from within our own community. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Owen Jones, who runs the boot camp Queen's Park Fitness in Northamptonshire. Welcome to The Lounge, Owen. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, Audrey. Oh, it's lovely to meet you. And you have been through so much and I can't wait to hear all about this. You're the author of Losing My Addiction. But with that, you now run marathons, you run the boot camp, you have so much going for you. Please do share your story. There, Yeah, you're right. There is quite quite a bit going on. And, what, and what's interesting, in a sense, you mentioned that I run the boot camp, Queen's Park Fitness in Northampton, and I run marathons. I've written a book, Losing My Addiction, about quitting alcohol back in se- September three years ago, the September before lockdown, it was. Um, so actually quite a good time. Uh, but we'll come we'll come on to that. Um, but yeah, you meant, you're mentioning the sort of the marathons and the fitness bit. Oddly enough, that was something that I was already doing whilst drinking. Um, and it was after one of the boot camps that I was at the time I was a member of the boot camp uh, attending rather than running. And the day before I quit, I was at a Saturday morning boot camp. And it was unusual for me being a Saturday morning because usually I'd be suffering from the Friday night. And the reason I was there on that Saturday morning was because I was going on a pretty big pub crawl from lunchtime onwards. And I thought I'll get up, get myself, earn myself some brownie points some beer tokens whilst having a workout. Then I've earned it. Yes. And it was odd that I kind of justified going out for a load of beers on the back of the fact that I was looking after myself. And that was kind of a bit of a theme. Yes. And and you're not alone with that, actually. This is quite a common thing. You, you go to have a workout and then you go, well, I can have that cake. And it doesn't really stop at that one slice. You, you end up thinking, well, well I've, I've run 5K this morning. I can have two slices of cake. And it goes from there. But that's that's really fascinating because... What you're talking about is you were really quite a high-functioning alcoholic, I guess. I, I guess so. Yeah, no, I was holding down and um, holding down a decent job, um, happy family, decent car, nice house, good holidays, all that, all the trappings of a, I, I guess what you call a reasonably, reasonably successful, normal, um, middle-aged family dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, going out for meals, going out, taking the kids to their, to their hobbies and what have you. Um, but at the same time, somehow, and I look back now and think, how did I find all that? How did I find the time and energy um, to manage to get through up to two bottles of wine a day? Wow. Um, as well as doing all that. And it, it, I kind of struggle. Like, you kind of hear people say these days, I don't know how I, when they retire, how did I find enough time to go to work? Because they're so busy. And I look at look back three plus years and go, how on earth did I manage to find so much drinking time? That's, that's really quite a reflection, isn't it? I mean, did people know, were you living a bit of a dual life? So drinking was kept more or less secret or the amount you were drinking was kept more or less secret? Yeah, people were surprised, I think, at how much. Right. Um, so you'd have a drink. Or with rather, friends. they saw me occasionally 
have a on a bit of a bender but every I kind of was like well everybody has a couple too many every now and then it was like oh it's just every now oh is that a party it was at this it was a one-off well I was seen as a one-off yeah but on the days I wasn't out it was still going on and so for me it wasn't but for other people it looked that way well apart from apart from those closest to me um who were obviously who were kind of uh obviously seeing the uh the yeah. gra- I guess gradual decline Yes. I, I mean, were you kidding yourself it was a one-off? Because in, in the same way as that mindset of, well, I've just done a boot camp, I can now go out for lots of drinks. Did you think you were were actually had it under control? It went in peaks and troughs, I think, the, the, the under control bit, um, which is, a, which is a, a kind of, what alcohol does to you, it, it convinces you that you are in control and you believe you are, and therefore it's all right. Yeah, yeah. But that, but that little sneaky, sneaky devil in alcohol, yes. whatever you want to call him uh, or her, um, I call it the evil alcohol fairy. Yeah. Sits on you. And it will, it will, and she will convince you that everything's all right. Mm. And that, yeah, what well, you can have a drink. Of course you can, yeah. because that, it'll make you feel a bit better. Yeah. Of course yeah. it will. Yeah. Um, and that fairy has a very seductive and um, convincing manner. Yes. I was going to say seductive is, is actually the word I'm sort of feeling from this conversation. It is it you. It sneaks up on you and you don't realise it. What was your turning point? What happened to to make you say, hang on a minute, this this really isn't right? I think going back going back a few years, my wife was away visiting some family who she hadn't seen for years. So I was at home with the kids. Unbeknownst to me, I got a bit fit out of hand mm. on my own. And my kids phoned my wife and she had to leave seeing some of her family in order to come back and sort me out. That kind of sat there for a long time. I didn't do anything about it. I was I was kind of embarrassed and sheepish and um, talked to a few people and um, close family. Yeah. And because nothing further happened for a while after that, it was all right, wasn't it? Because you've almost got that validation, haven't you? That you've yeah, nothing's talked happened about for it six now. Months. And nothing's happened. happened for a while. It's all right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I guess it was the the pub the, the pub crawl after the boot camp that did it, where um, I basically from mid afternoon onwards I couldn't really remember anything about the day. Mm. Then I was in such I was in such a way the next day that the first thing I the first thing I did. Um, on waking and realizing it was about opening time was go to the pub because I knew that it was Sunday so there was nothing happening everybody for, for some reason or other I think it was oh I don't know for some reason there was nobody at home so I was on my own so it was safe mm. I didn't have to say anything I didn't have to face anybody yes so I thought I'll go to the pub I'll have a pint It'll, I know it I know one will just settle me down. I'll be all right. Then I can come home just, and it'll all go away. Mm. <laughs> um, but it, that one turned into many. And fortunately, 
something must have been working in my favor that day because I happened to be sitting outside nursing probably my, I don't know, sixth or seventh pint mm. at about three or four in the afternoon. And one of my neighbors oh. came round. I happened to drop in for a, um, a Sunday afternoon beer. As many people do, quite happily, always have done, always will do, and it's not something I can do. Um, and we had a we had a chat. I have no idea what we talked about. I have no idea exactly what he said to me. I don't even know if I finished the drink I was on that he that that, that was going when I when he arrived. Mm. What I do know is that I sent a text <laughs> to my wife saying that's it. Um, I am. I have reached the end of the road on this. I will stop. I'm coming home now. Do not talk to me. Right. I am going straight to bed. I will wake up tomorrow and I will be living a new life. Wow. Um, and that's what happened. Wow. So some, somehow or other, my neighbour coming around and seeing me that day was I kind of see it now as the final piece of a jigsaw that all the other pieces were in place for me to be able to quit everything was done because I'd done lots of research I'd done lots of reading I'd spoken to people I'd done therapy I'd done AA I'd done this and that and the other and it hadn't quite got to the point this conversation was that final piece and once that was in place I didn't really have a choice but to stop because I knew then that that was it. Mm. It's there. There is nothing more. And this is right. Yeah. Wow. That's that that real kind of change of heart almost immediately, that, that epiphany moment, isn't it? I mean, what's very, very moving, though, is when you say when you reached out, you spoke to people and then nothing quite happened and it felt a little bit more, oh, it's OK then. What mm -hmm. do you think might have helped at that point or do you think you would still have to have got to this that epiphany change? To a certain thing point, I, I, to a certain extent, I think I did need to get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot there's a lot said about needing to reach your rock bottom, and that it's not a it's not a race to see how far down you can go, because some people's rock bottom, I think, is a lot deeper mm. than others. Um, some will potentially end up basically on life support or jaundiced in hospital about literally being given their last rights. And I've met people who have been in that position and are still with us. Mm. Others I've met who've been in that position and are no longer with us. Now, that's, that's, I, I, I was very fortunate that I didn't get to the point where I, I could say I, I didn't get to the point where like, where my life was in danger, but that that's wrong because mm at certain points and during certain drinking episodes, I was putting myself in mm. positions where my life most definitely was in danger. I would find myself in neighborhoods or clubs or environments that it's kind of not the place to be. Mm. Um, I found myself in the middle of a dual carriageway, not knowing where I was walking along the road. Now, when I say I wasn't in hospital with my life in danger, I was on a dual carriageway with my life in danger. Mm. So I don't, it, it, it was, the, it was the, both of them are the result of excessive drinking. And it, it took, I think, 
from that moment of, of what I described as my kids needing to needing to find my wife to get her back, I needed a lot more, I don't know, I needed a lot more drinking to realise that I had a problem. No, 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 but I think what you say is really important because I think you highlight something um, which we don't often think about, and that is even if you haven't ended up in hospital, it doesn't mean the situation you're in is not problematic or unhealthy or potentially going to send you there. And I think that's a big thing to recognize. That's hugely important. If if children are having to ring the other parent and you're putting them in a certain situation as well, it is a problematic situation. You tried AA, you've been through all of those things. Um, what are some of the barriers that maybe men in particular experience when when they do need some support? I mean, for me, I, I think one of the things I was kind of brought up in a in a drinking culture Yes. Um, being a child of the 60s and living through, living through watching my parents through the 70s and early 80s, it was the, the 1970s drinks parties, the excesses of that, the, the, the 1980s excesses and going into the 90s. There was very much, and then there was very much a kind of lad culture about drinking. And yeah. it, it was a time, and I think that, that was one of the problems, is, is it was my life and how I grew yeah. and I think it's true for a lot of people but in that period was that this is the norm yes, yes um, acceptable. and if you're and not part different. of it you're a bit of an oddity whereas t today and I think it's one of the one of the things that's really helped me today people actually don't give a monkeys whether you have a drink or not yeah and they really don't and a lot of and I think one of the barriers that I find was there in people's minds and I'm not going to just talk about it being a, a male thing because I don't know if it is just male because I am just male but mm. as for the rest of the population I'm not but there's this there's there's this feeling that if you are going to stop people are going to think something of you and yeah. actually the people those who matter and those who care um, and those who are your true friends actually know that it's probably a good idea that you stop yeah, because they've had to dig you out of trouble before, and they don't want to do it again. Um, yes, yes. Those who can, those who kind of say, "I'll oh, go on, it's all right, I have another drink." Well, you know what? Don't worry, don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah, because they don't get what you're going yeah. through. But also, I think you're right in pointing out that the people who care about you, even if you don't have an a problem with alcoholism or or, or with uh, dr drinking abuse or anything like that but simply if you just don't want to have a drink your friends don't care about that that doesn't become a thing and I think no. that's really important but you have then now just mentioned something very significant and that is why alcohol addiction can be so difficult to recover from because there will be people who will say things like oh it's okay it's just one drink it, it you'll be fine without mm. really realizing it were there other issues that you faced when it came to that recovery i, I don't i'm not sure that it was so much the the other people mm. it, it was the voices in my it's, it's the voices in my own head yeah you can walk away from other people yes you can't walk away from your own head and that's that's where it all is because the it's not a it's not a problem with your environment it's not a problem with your friendships it's not a problem with your job or your hobbies it's a problem that manifests itself 
totally in your own head. Yeah. Totally. It is nowhere. It is nowhere else. People will move to different parts of the country to get away from everything. They call it a geographical. But they take everything with them. And, and then actually the nice the nice thing is when you have moved to a new town and you're an alcoholic is nobody knows you so you can go to the same pub over and over again and nobody cares and then you, you don't have to keep on going to different off licenses each day yes do you know what that's... And actually it becomes worse yeah that's really interesting isn't it because so many people say i'm going to move away and then it'll be fine because no one knows me and it means i can be whoever i want to be but you're absolutely right when you go to somewhere where no one knows you you can be who you were or the, who those habits are making oh, yeah, you absolutely. without yeah. being questioned mm-hmm. i never thought of that that's really worrying actually that's that's mm. really scary and that's a new way of looking at it you wrote your book losing my addiction was that part of your healing process and if not what what helped you in that healing process it it became part of it I mean I didn't start writing it until quite a way quite a long time after I quit so I stopped I stopped drinking the September three years in 2019 I guess it was now um and lockdown came in March and I kind of decided that I wanted to come out of lockdown as a better person than I went into it Right. Now the difficulty the difficulty with that was that lockdown was only going to be three weeks, wasn't it? Or six, yes, maybe. that's true. Yep. And so I had to get on with it and did some other stuff. And then when it extended and extended, it it became clear to me that I needed to write down what I'd been through, what I'd done, what I'd found out. And all of a sudden, I wasn't spending two hours a day mm. commuting to and from work, and I could do something with that time. And so the book was born. Yeah, and it, it it started about yeah about six months or so after I quit. Looking back, it was probably absolutely perfect timing mm-hmm. because I was well into my quit in terms of, but not very far in. And yes. so I was probably at a point where it was quite dangerous. In other words, I've been six months. Yeah, I can probably go. I can probably go back to how. Well, not go back to hours, but I can probably have a glass of wine with me. I can probably do this, and that's. I think I don't know, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that by committing to write this, I had to stay sober. Yeah, because I couldn't write it if I wasn't, because it would have yes. been a bit daft writing a book about being sober while drinking. Yeah, but then having written it, then there is that that piece that thing called consistency mm-hmm. and therefore I kind I have kind of put out there to the world that this is me I've written a book about giving up drink yeah. oh, oh thank you I'll have a glass oh lovely I'll have a lovely I'll have a glass of wine yes what so I'm it, it's kind of it helped it, it got me through that probably a dangerous patch between six months and 18 months I think for many people who are changing habits we always hear that oh it takes about three months for a new habit to come in and and, and we then get used to it when you get to about that six month period it's almost that temptation of do I like this new person I am mm, not sure mm, maybe yeah. I'll just sneak back a little bit and and that's really significant so I'm really glad you brought that up so how can we find out more about you or buy your book and so on? How can you find out a bit more about me? Well, my, my book is on the web, on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and the website is called drunkdadwhodrydad.com. I was a drunk dad and I'm now a dry dad. 
<laughs> I love it. Um, <clears throat> so the book's on there called Losing My Addiction. I mean, if you pop Losing My Addiction to Amazon, you can get a hold of it from there. The website's got lots of anecdotes and to hints and tips and and the like on it. So a really useful, useful resource. Of course, I'd say the book is a, a, a worth a read, whether you're uh, whether you want to quit or not. Have a, have a look at it, and I'm not. And it may be useful for people um, who are struggling with other things. Yes, addiction is addiction. Is addiction. Um, yeah. But this is definitely written from my point of view, with drink in mind. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're um, right in saying that it, it, what you learn from your book and your blogs, in fact can be easily transferred to other forms of addiction or other habits that we might be feeling are unhealthy. And yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. And as for the boot camp, just pop Queen's Park Fitness into Google and you'll find me. Thank you so much, Owen. This has been so enlightening and it's been so great to chat with you. That's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive.